Welcome to this week's Inspired Your Grown-Up Girl Talk. I am Stacy here with Samantha. As always, how are you, Samantha? I am doing well. We're in March. We're celebrating women doing amazing things. And today is a big day of women who are doing some amazing things. Well, and, and to be fair, we do celebrate that all year round, but it becomes bigger with confetti and balloons and and all the all the celebration that goes with it when we do it in March, uh, Women's Month, Women's Official Women's Month. Um, I am really excited today. So this, you know, they they say they I don't know who they are, but they say if you if you work in or what, I forget the exact saying, but if you work in your passion, you'll never work a day in your life. Or if you if you find a career in your passion, you'll never work a day in your life. Or something along those lines. And um, I think. Sometimes we have, and maybe I'm saying this for a friend, um, sometimes we have trouble finding what our real passion is, right? Like we get so drawn into, you know, taking care of husband and kids and PTA and this and, and work that we've, you know, landed in however we've landed and we forget really what our true passions are. So to be able to spend today talking to someone who truly has known, I think since childhood, your main passion and you've turned it into a, a very successful business. Um, I, I think that the model is something that we should all be striving for. So I am super excited uh, to sit with Genevieve Weeks today of the Tutu School, founder, owner, CEO of the Tutu Schools. Genevieve, how are you today? I'm good. This is so fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you for um, coming to us from Chicago, where you uh, you are now residing. I, you, I know you used to be Bay Area, but now Chicago. Um, tell us a little bit about. Uh, let's just let's just go a little bit about the background and and how you really feel about the power of dance and the power of of creativity for your students for for having that impact for kids. Yeah, I mean, really, I started to do school just because it was what I believed in the most about ballet. And I am a retired ballet dancer. So um, for me, you know, that led me to a career on the stage. But I really found that as I was kind of entering the last stage of my performing career, I realized not only was it what I believed about the most in, in ballet for, for me as a professional dancer, but even if I hadn't had a performing career, I knew it was just really formative that I'd had this experience and I had space in my life for creativity and joy and a place where I could connect with music. And like <clears throat> really kind of the thing I was chasing all those years on stage was trying to get back to who I was as a little kid in, in my parents' living room, you know, just moving to music and being joyful and being creative and discovering things about myself. And that I really wanted to make that space for other kids to be able to do that and to give them a magical introduction to ballet um, and just see where it, it would lead them. And then it kind of dovetailed nicely with the fact that the budding entrepreneur and me had noticed that there was this real white space where um, traditional dance schools just did not, you know, lend themselves to a great experience for, for very young dancers. But at the same time, it was still this like milestone moment where people were like, okay, where are we going to take our kids for their first ballet lesson? And that usually meant like taking them to some dingy warehousey studio where like the teachers weren't trained to deal with very young dancers. There was no real branding, yep. <laughs> right? I had some of that experience. Exactly. So all that just kind of came together in this idea of a boutique ballet experience. Um, and I started the first one in San Francisco. Uh, it'll be 14 years this month. 
Wow. Um, and did so well that then we opened up a second one across the, the Golden Gate Bridge in Marin County, where I encountered you. Um, and that was, it was a year, it was still like right in the middle of the recession. So it was a year and a half later um, at what's now the Marin Country Mart, but we were like, we were the very first tenants that they signed there. So that was just, a, just becoming a thing. And that one also did really well. So we decided that like franchising seemed like a really interesting way to grow. When I say we, I just mean my husband and I. Um, mostly because my best friend had franchised her business really successfully through franchising. Otherwise I would have had no clue that that was a way that you could scale your business and took some time to kind of figure out what that looked like and find our first franchise owner. And um, that, that first franchise location opened eight years ago next month. And um, now we've grown to 63 locations and counting that are somewhere in the process of, of opening. That's insane. How many states now? Oh my gosh, I'm behind. I have I have a map over my um shoulder here in the office. I could go over and count the states, but I've lost track. <laughs> I need to go in and add because we just added a couple of new states. But um we're we've expanded. We originally were just in Chicago, or sorry, just I'm in Chicago. We were originally just in California. Um now we're on both coasts and we have some schools in the middle. And really excitingly, um, we just opened um, we already had one in Brooklyn, New York, but then in the last week we opened up another Brooklyn, New York location and our first Manhattan location on the Upper East Side. So that's really exciting. You are such Cali. <laughs> such a badass and I I met you when my daughter Bardot was I think two and we were and it was like there was literally nothing in the Larkspur country mart there was like you and maybe a cup bed bath and beyond that's it um and And veterinarian there was a veterinarian there was a veterinarian but I always remember we even now we'll sometimes say it after every ballet class would close it was thank you for the magic and like that's such a say you're on the house here We've kept it for years later, but you know, Bardo's teacher was Miss Nero and I know she's got her own studio now. And I think what you're doing for women and allowing women to have these business opportunities and share in your dream and your joy and show them the way, I think it's so cool. And I remember being on an airplane. I don't know where I, maybe I was going somewhere with you fleece and I was reading entrepreneur magazine and I saw tutu school in there as one of the top franchises. And I was like, this is so cool because I remember, I remember, you know, watching you grow when you decided to do this franchise thing, like what went into something like, cause I, I find it fascinating. I know nothing about it. Yeah, no, I think I'm kind of like, I'm still trying to figure out how to do this, but I, I want to be an evangelist <laughs> for franchising. Cause I just think it's something that's like a very underutilized path, especially for women. Um, and I think that a lot of us think of like, I consider Tutu School a non-traditional franchise concept. You know, I think people think of like food and fitness and, totally. um, mm-hmm. and so again, if I hadn't had this friend who she franchised a, a business called Bella Bridesmaid, that was a, a bridesmaid stress boutique, um, very successfully, she's since sold it. But if I hadn't watched her scale her company that way, I don't think I would have, have known to do it, but it makes so much sense because, you know, it's harder for women in general to get funding for their companies. Um, you know, and I, I think that, that this is a way that you not only are able to do that, that really your franchisees become your investors, but I've, I've since realized like now being at this point, you know, if I was going to hire, um, you know, enough people to go run 63 tutu schools, then they're all still their employees. Right. And they might love it. And there's are incredible people on our team, but it's never going to be the same thing to them as it is to me, because it's my business, my baby, my brand, but with franchisees, no, it really is their business. Like they really run each of those schools. Like it's their own because it is. So I think it's just a much more, um, powerful way to grow and scale too, because of the, not just the financial investment, but the actual like emotional 
investment and commitment that owners have. But so really like to your question, the first thing we had to do was sort of look at those two locations that we had and say, okay, so like we've done this twice. <laughs> what, what can we systemize? Like, how can we create tools and guides and, and manuals and programs and training so that we could have anybody who had no experience with a two-two school go and do this somewhere else? Um, and so it was really valuable to have those two schools. And even though, I mean, you both know, even though San Francisco and Larkspur are very close together um, geographically, they're also, they are very different communities. So it was, that was actually great to be able to test out in sort of a more urban and a more um, suburban environment and see what worked one place and what didn't. And then just really kind of try and distill it down to like, what, what does somebody need to have sort of a tutu school in a box and be able to create their own. So I think, I think a lot of people would love to start their own business, but there's a lot of fear and trepidation around the financial commitment of that. And I know nothing about franchising a business outside of what it looks like on paper. Like I know what it means. I can, I can define it and that's about all I can do. So for somebody who said, yeah, that sounds like an amazing thing to get into. I don't even know where to start. Like for a franchisee, where does that, where does that start? Yeah, no, that's a great question. They, you know, usually the first thing that I recommend besides just reaching out to whatever concept you're, you're interested in buying, um, and having conversations with them and, and they have to disclose, you know, what the estimated initial investment would be all of that. And, and give you sort of the nuts and bolts in a, a registered financial or franchise disclosure document. One of the first things that we tell anybody who comes to us is go talk to our owners. Like I want you to go talk to as many to school owners as you can and ask them all the questions that I can't answer or that, um, that you're not going to, you know, I can't answer from the perspective of being a franchisee and say like, what have you loved? What challenges did you not expect? You know what, you know, did you consider doing this on your own? Like, that's one of my favorite questions when people ask is like, well, could I, you know, why should I do this versus go and do it on my own? Yeah. Um, you know? And so I think like, I, that's one of the first things I think anyone exploring a franchise should do is go and talk to the owners within the system and like, find out, are they happy? Do they have more than one? Like, cause I think that's like, one of the things I love is like many of our owners own multiple two schools. I think that's a great testimonial, like find out once they've done this, have they wanted to do more? Um, you know, and also what do they wish they'd, they'd known when they started? So what was like the hardest part about this whole journey that you've had to have, like that you're just like, oh my God, <laughs> if I knew then what I know now. <laughs> I think, I mean, setting, setting the pandemic aside, cause you know, that sort of happened in two acts for us. Whereas like, you know, the second act has actually been really remarkable because so many people have used it as an opportunity to say like, I think I want to make a change in my life. Like, what do I want to be doing? And so from a franchise perspective, we've had a lot of new owners that have just decided they want something more in their lives and have decided to open up to do schools from a a two-two school perspective in terms of the students, we've also seen this huge return, um, you know, where families are just sort of like, oh my gosh, safe in-person activities for kids, like that are not in front of a screen. Yes, please. So the second act has been great. The first act was terrifying, um, but, but setting that aside, I think I really underestimated, and I, I don't actually view this as like something that I'd want to change, um, but it, it was definitely something that I didn't expect. I think that sometimes maybe franchising is viewed as this thing of like, okay, well, so I'm going to create that package I described, and then it's just sort of like a set it and forget it thing, and you'll like collect your royalties. And I think what I've learned is that for it to be successful and be something that grows, and also to be something that I want to stay engaged in and believe in, it has to keep evolving all the time. So like the pandemic was this emergency um, 
you know, example of that, where we had to figure out online classes and things like outdoor classes and pod classes and be, you know, constantly shifting and pivoting, but there are lots of ways that we need to be growing all the time and making sure that we're providing more tools and layers of support for our franchise owners to just keep making, you know, the brand and its mission better. Um, and I think I, I think I didn't, I underestimated that drastically in the beginning, but I'm kind of glad that I did. Cause I think it would have been, been a pretty boring job if I just kept, you know, handing out the same operations manual for a decade or so. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's fair. Um, why, what is the benefit to you to scale on a franchise level when it's, I, I guess, for, I guess I think about like, oh, it's, it's your baby. This is like, this was your vision. This is what you created for you. Like, how is it, um, how is it to let some of that go and, sh and share in that? Um, there's, there's so many people that just, you know, they get they, their identity becomes this business that they built. Right. And, um, and yet here you are sort of sharing that with others. Like how, how does that work for, for you on your end? It was, it was really hard in the beginning, honestly. And I think I was just talking to somebody who was considering franchising their business. And they said, like, what do you wish you'd known at the beginning? And I said, you know, that I, I wish I'd understood how much I was going to need to be prepared to keep having it grow and evolve. Um, but I also said, I was like, I wish in the beginning I'd been open faster to that idea that I'd pick these people for a reason. I trusted them. And that if they had ideas or they had, you know, places that they wanted to consider going or growing with Sutu School, that I was more open to it earlier. I just think it would have saved us all a lot of energy and we could have gotten into the stage of growth that we're in now a lot faster. And I was really resistant to it in the beginning. Um, I kind of view like my first franchisees, like your you know, firstborn child, at least. In my yeah. Life. It's like, Oh, I don't want to let that go. Yes. And, and at least in my case, I'm like much, I was much harder on my firstborn for the first part of his life than the other two, my twins. I'm kind of like, are you alive? Great. Good job. Um, <laughs> solid day. <laughs> solid, yeah. Gold star. Um, I'm just, I'm exaggerating of course, but like, I do feel like our first franchisees mostly, I feel like our first well, franchisees. We don't want the letters in the comments people. No. <laughs> Yeah, we all get it. We all get it. You understand. Um, my first franchisees, I was really hard on them in the sense of like, I did really try. I was like, well, this is how I've always done it. You know, and so like, no, I'm not really that open to variation because this is how I've always done it. And now what we've seen is that it's like, yes, of course, you know, so much of our, our growth and strength has been based on that brand and, and, and that I did create and that that was what we'd done up to that point. But now so much of our strength is based on, on directions that franchisees have taken us like, Hey, I want to pilot this at my location. Can I try doing this? Um, can, could we experiment with this? I have this idea. My teacher brought up this point I'd never considered, you know, it's just like the imagination of one person is only so big when you bring in people who are really invested in the mission and believe in what you believe in, and then are going to keep kind of asking questions and suggesting things. That's just, it's, there's just so much strength in that. And so it's been, it's been a, a learning thing for me. Cause I think my first instinct is still that protectiveness. And so like, I've, I like had to train myself to when somebody has an idea or a question, or is even just like, wait, why do we do it this way? That I like take a deep breath first <laughs> and say like, I, you know, I, we've never thought about that. I'd love to think about that a little bit more, you know, well, and, and these are people that you're really partnering with, like they, exactly. you're, bringing them and you're partnering with them. So like, okay let's get real about this. Like what percentage of people express interest and you start talking to you and you're like, Oh fuck. No, this is already rash where, you know, if it's a sweaty day and they've got like a, something dripping from their forehead, you're like, no, I'm out. Like you can't be in my sorority or like, I mean, 
how does that <laughs> or is it or is it like if they can pass a drinking game thing it works right i mean that right. would we be have, a community rush but yeah. we have really intense hazing rituals and then we're good as you um, should <laughs> i mean honestly no, I think, I do think that, that they're not hazing rituals, but I do think we have good screening things in process now by, so that usually by the time I'm having the initial conversation with somebody, like we're pretty sure that they're a good candidate. Um, but I do think that we've, we've had to like put a lot of those in place and then even, you know, going further down the, the pipeline. Sort yeah, of okay. Well, hold on. You put a lot of those in place, but do you learn like, do you <laughs> learn on the fly? Because yeah. you've got a lot of fucked up franchisees at the beginning. How do, like, how do you learn? And just the people that would come at you. You know, if you're five, three or shorter, like this isn't not going to work or whatever it is, you know? I think, I think we've been lucky that we haven't, we haven't usually gone wrong with owners, but I think the reason why is that when we got to that point where it was like, okay, now it's time to like extend them an offer of a franchise. Like that really, that's like a very crystallizing moment, right? That's so good day. Yeah, if if you've been lying to yourself that up to that point, like I can kind of see it. Like, I think, you know, when you're actually getting to the point of like, am I going to drop an agreement for this person? And and especially in the beginning, frankly, I actually think it was like harder in the beginning because we knew those first owners were going to be like the avatar for the later owners. So Mm -hmm. now we have this big community where I feel like, you know, we're still very careful about who we pick, but it's, it's nice that we can really have like a variety of, of even temperaments or like, you know, sort of backgrounds in terms of the work experience they're bringing. of temperaments. Um, <laughs> let me go steal that from you. That's a good the one. Course of the next week. That's a, a good variety one. Of, a variety that's really of good. Well, that's also because you've got a lot of different, really specific, right? Because you're like, this is our, these are our first three or, you know, whatever. Whereas now we can have a variety of temperaments, for example, and we can trust that everyone will gel a little bit better because there's a bigger group to join. But I think that being able and being open and being receptive to different, you know, things that you can build on as a company. And as you know, when a good idea is a good idea, everybody can benefit. I think being open to that is, I don't know that all franchise, franchisors, franchise, you'd be a franchisor. Yeah. yeah. I always get that one confused, but I don't know that most are like that. So that's probably pretty unique to your world. Um, and, you know, big runway, like, you know, what's your goal? Like to have hundreds of them or, I mean, what, what's your big pie in the sky? It's a, it's a good question. I, I think I was actually, we just had a meeting um, last week where I was saying, you know, sort of the, the hard thing that I'm kind of trying to answer, because I think honestly, I, I don't see much of a limit or a ceiling for Tutu school in a practical level, because people are only willing to drive so far to take their three-year-old to ballet, you know, once a week. Right. So that means there can kind of be a lot of them as, as in terms of the market and the demand. And certainly that's what we've seen in areas like the Bay area, where we have a bunch of Tutu schools is there can be a bunch of them and they can be really successful. So I don't really see a limit in terms of the space, like the actual geography on the map to take up where I see the limit is just sort of in our, our ability to support that in the way in which I want to. And like, I don't have a five to seven year exit. This is my dream job. And so like, I, when I was saying this conversation with somebody else is I was like, I don't want to talk myself out of a job. You know, they were talking about like, you know, investment opportunities and things like that and funding that we could bring in. And it's like, I have to be really careful because I want to make sure I never hold back teacher schools growth. And also I don't want to, you know, have us grow just to grow when um, the work that we're doing right now is what is something I really love and, and want to keep doing. I think it's amazing. And also what, and going back to what Stacey had brought up initially, what dance and enrichment does for young children 
is, I mean, we see it with our work with Sparkle and, you know, the scholarships and stuff that we do for dance and sports. It's incredible what those moments when they're so young and those, you know, foundation years and what you're able to provide to children um, of all walks of the world. I think it's really cool. And um, I think that, you know, unless you, you know, maybe have a little girl or a little boy that's interested in dance, you may not really understand fully what the tutu experience is. But as someone who was a part of it with both my daughters, it's amazing. And what you've built is like, it's, it's very cool and it's very different. And you should be really proud of that. I'm proud of you, girlfriend. <laughs> That's very sweet of you to say. Yeah, I think we really want to, and we're we we want it to be that space I was talking about, and to give that formative experience to kids to just have a place to fall in love with music and movement. But it's like, you know, as we keep growing and as we think about what our our sort of purpose is, we want to keep thinking about. I mean, I don't know if you remember, but in classes we have a ballet story time curriculum where all the kids learn, you know, part of Swan Lake or Sleeping Beauty that week, and then they're they're learning about the composer and they're getting up and dancing it out. And it's a real arts education. Um, but we've also realized that like, there's a lot of opportunity there to make sure that we're highlighting great messages and values for these, you know, mostly girls too. Cause let's face it, like a lot of traditional fairy tales and, and classical ballet stories have not always highlighted great messaging for, <laughs> for young women that we want to be empowered. So I think that there's, there's a lot that, that we're, you know, kind of continually trying to bring to the space and make sure that it's maybe not what people have, have thought of traditionally about an introduction to ballet, but that we think should be a part of it. Well, that's, it's, there's a lot of responsibility there. I mean, you you have taken on not just sort of an, at after school or, or extracurricular activity. There's a there's a heavy responsibility with um, instilling sort of the the level of confidence that, especially because you are serving mostly young girls, ages eighteen months to eight years is the target, right? Exactly. So those are pretty formative years to really build that level of confidence and and um, self-worth to some degree. So um, I, that's, that's a, that's a heavy responsibility and, and the schools aren't really always taking it on. And certainly as schools continue to have um, budget cuts and extracurricular cuts and um, have you over, over the 14 years that you've been around, have you seen more uh, relying on outside activities to fill those gaps that schools have? Because a lot of them can't even do the music programs anymore or you know the arts in general get um, get really shortchanged as budget constraints require you know them to to work on a on a tighter tighter financial budget. I I don't know what I, what are you seeing changes in that arena? Yeah, I think that's I think that's part of it. I for sure is that sadly like you know kids aren't getting this in school as much, and so there is more of a, a sort of a need and a drive to get that outside of school. And then I also think that we're in a moment too where families are just looking for more enrichment activities for their kids. And there's like you know there's also obviously a downside or a, or potential downside there when I think like families get really caught up in you know making sure that that like you know Susie's enrolled in six extracurriculars and like you know and how well, she's this- five and she'll be going to college soon so. We're gonna we're gonna need to be filling out that application in 13 years, and we better have those extracurricular activities, right? Like the, the road to the the race to nowhere. Uh, so we don't want to feed that, you know, without, without being thoughtful. Um, but, but I do think that the fact that that is something that families are looking for now that just kind of, it, it to me, it says, okay, well, so then they're going to be signing their kids up for enrichment activities. And we want to make sure that ours is one that's like, that's a really positive force in the life of young people. If they're not going to be getting it at school, then we want to make sure that we're giving it to them in, in a way that's meaningful. I always love this question because I get it asked all the time and people will say like, 
what advice would you give to young women? And my advice is always like, don't take yourself too seriously, right? And if you fall down, like wipe your knees off and keep going. So with someone who's done such a big jump and maybe not always had all the answers along the way, like what would you give women advice? What, what's like your one piece of like, this is something I'm true to when it comes to just business owning? I, that I think you you have to start. Like, I think that a lot of times we wait, or at least this is something that I can, can fall victim to is like, wait for it to be perfect or wait for like, wait for the circumstances you say, okay, if, what, if, when, then, and it's like, I think that one of the, the biggest gifts of my ballet training was that it's like, you spent all this time preparing. I mean, an insane amount of time preparing when you factor in all the classes over the years and certainly rehearsals and things like that too. But at the end of the day, there's this moment when, you know, the curtain goes up and you have to step on the stage. And like, sometimes the, you know, common sense would tell you not to, you're not ready for a role or you're scared. There's tons of people out there, the orchestra's playing and like, you have to actually make yourself go out there and do it. Um, whether you feel ready or not and trust that the preparations in there. And I, I look at a lot of life and a lot of business that way, that it's like, you might not feel exactly ready for this thing, but all of your preparation and practice over the years, just living has prepared you in ways you, you probably can't even recognize. And you have to just start. And I've done is better than perfect. As we yes. have said here before a hundred percent. And also that I think like, can't wait for perfect. It's not <laughs> perfect. Doesn't happen. You can't wait for perfect and you don't, you can't wait to know what the, the ultimate destination is going to be like. I think that's the other reason people will not start is they don't know where they're going to end up. And like, I look at, you know, I was mentioning the locations that just opened up in New York. It was pre-pandemic, um, like a, about a year before the pandemic that I'd started going back to New York City for the first time in many years and was like, we need a tutu school here. And I couldn't figure out how we were going to get one because I didn't have any owners on the horizon that were interested. And, and just because you love going to New York, like, do you, do you target people? Because you're like, that's where I want to go visit on a regular basis a hundred percent i'm like I mean, I totally that that yeah, like, yeah. Is probably not high on the list but maybe i don't know like i'm i really do that's i i i say that jokingly but like it's sort of true that i'm like okay oh, yeah. the map. this is where i'd like to have a tax deductible reason to visit so let's open it to you <laughs> and depending on the time of year like you got to be able to shake it up right like you can go to arizona in the winter you yeah. can go Hawaii, San Lucas. These are all great destinations. East Coast in the spring. Like, I mean, come on, you got to fill in that calendar. You need, and you, yeah, you need a variety of destinations. So yes, it was that. And, <laughs> and New, York City, New York City played a big role That's in my dancing life growing up, but it was also that it's like, you know, it, I think for a lot of brands, it's a big deal to have a, of an outpost in New York. And, oh, yeah. and we literally just started scouting locations and like neighbor, we decided that Brooklyn made the most sense to launch in first. We started just like scouting neighborhoods in Brooklyn when we had no idea who was going to open it or how. And then it was like one of those things where things just started falling into place. And now we have like, we have five locations reserved in Brooklyn, two that are already open. And the first wow. one just opened with two other Manhattan ones reserved. And we had a pandemic in, happen in the meantime that like totally delayed the first Brooklyn opening. Cause we all know what happened. <laughs> our, our first Brooklyn location was supposed to open in March of 2020. <laughs> so, oh, cool timing. It was great, great timing. timing. It worked thankfully out. Thankfully, it was. Uh, thankfully, it was maybe the latter half of March, and not the first half of March when you're open for a hot minute. But this is interesting, though, because you. So you're like Brooklyn, yeah, and I think that's a fantastic spot. Also, by the way, uh, yeah, Brooklyn. We want to be in Brooklyn. We don't know anyone here in Brooklyn who wants to do that. So, like, what do you do? Do you like just put a note on your Facebook to your friends, like, hey, anyone know somebody in Brooklyn? Like, I mean, how do you? Because you don't just want some rando. 
Right. So we got very lucky with that situation in that a, a past owner or a, she's a current owner, but she was in California. Um, she had a teacher who'd moved to Brooklyn and who she felt like oh, she nice. could really tap to run a school for her there. Nice. She was, oh, she very was cool. at the time. She now she lives in Brooklyn. Yeah. And so um that got the wheels turning there. They are the ones who have started launching in Brooklyn. And it was and then it, but it, honestly, the other New York team that's launched Manhattan and one on Long Island um just found us on their own. I mean, I'm not, I don't think I'm a especially woo woo, but like, it, it is interesting that it's like, sometimes when you do just say like, this needs to happen, I'm just going to start preparing for it. I'm just going to start heading in that direction and we'll see what happens. It's really crazy now that like, you know, here we are just a little while later and, and, and we just opened up on that very side when again, it's like, I was just stumbling around Brooklyn in the summer being like, I just think there needs to be one here. <laughs> but the power of manifestation is huge. And the power of like, you know, maybe not vision boarding, you know, really, but mentally doing it, I think is uh, something that, you know, it, it leads you in these weird directions. And sometimes it doesn't make sense. It's just the the universe has a way of doing it. We also didn't, we have just a couple of minutes left, but we didn't tap on the fact that you are a mom of three, right? Yes. That, that's just, you know, no big deal. So you've got that going on. You've got quite a few, you know, 60, how many babies? 68 schools? 63. 63. 63. So you've got quite a few children right? And, and you're, you're doing well, you it just, all. You just put 68 out in the universe. So let's check yeah. back with you in about a Talk month. About and a half yeah. I like that. 68 now. 68. Now. But I think, I think your storyline and I think a woman just, you know, taking a step and starting to walk and starting and, and what you've been able to build 14 years later is absolutely incredible. And anytime I see you pop up on my LinkedIn I see that you are opening up another store. I'm just like, this is so great. And this is so cool. And to be a part of your journey, you know, a long, long time ago, a very small part of it. Like I have so much admiration for you. And I want to say thank you for sharing yourself with us today and our listeners. Um, we'll put some show notes in so you can learn a little bit more about Tutu School. If you, you know, are interested in maybe learning more about how you too can be a Tutu owner. Um, and Genevieve, just thank you. And everybody else, get out there this week, do something great and be inspired.